Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor at MDGO Traders and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 414th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your host, Mason, joined by my Stranger Things potentially loving co-host, Spencer. Spencer, now, you and I had never talked about Stranger Things, and I don't even think you've watched it yet. But I feel like, despite everything I know about you, you would weirdly like Stranger Things if you gave it a chance. And so I'm using... The no Abe time because Abe's gone to pitch you on Stranger Things. So I I actually have no doubt that if I if I didn't hate horror so much I would like Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's probably I mean I've watched clips from a lot of it like I I think it looks really funny, it's mm-hmm. endearing and charming. Um, I have really bad nightmares and so I have stayed away from Stranger Things. Mm, I didn't know about the nightmare part. Okay. All right. I won't, I won't pitch now. Yeah. I, I'm gonna leave. Fun, fun fact about me for those who don't know, like I don't get scared during movies of any kind, no matter how scary they are, but I have horrific nightmares after watching scary films mm-hmm. um, to the point where I don't watch them. Like uh, it's, it's weird. Cause like, I'm not scared during the movies, but like I'll wake up in like a cold sweat. It's really weird. And that that's you never watch my stream because the plate's so terrible. You're just like it's oh it's haunted. I wa- I literally have the most donations to your stream by a substantial margin. You know I watch it. Yeah, but it was a really good bit and I was I was hoping for a little yes ending. <laughs> but speaking of a good bit is being mana value. Uh, we're gonna talk all about being mana efficient and everything in between with mana uh, on today's episode. Once again, Abe is gone. I know I kinda mentioned him passive there at the start talking about Stranger Things. He is out this week with his girlfriend so we're hoping they're having a fun fun time but you know that's not about abe let's talk about the important stuff spencer you've been gone for a couple weeks you've been sick you've been on a mission and you're back for always improving and i'm gonna let you have the floor because you know I, i'm actually sick gone. right now like i yeah. i currently have covid um man i uh, so yeah a few weeks ago i missed for personal reasons that we want to talk about on the show and then um, last week I, I wasn't able to go, and and this week it's funny like we're we're recording on Wednesday because I was just too sick on Monday with COVID, and I learned a lot in the time that I was gone though. Um, as many know, I, I took some time off from Magic to focus on Smash Brothers, um, and. I played a doubles tournament. I played I played what is called a major. Um, it's like it's hard to explain because like Smash tournaments don't have like qualifiers like Magic does. But I basically played a Smash Pro Tour. Like it's it's basically what I played in. And um, it was really funny because a lot of people were asking me. They're like, "Oh, how'd you do?" I was like, "Oh yeah, like I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot." And like, "Oh yeah, like how'd you do though?" And I was like. 
Well, I didn't expect to win any rounds. They're like, you went to a tournament that you expect to win no rounds? I was like, yeah. Like, uh, they're seated. It's not It's not like a magic tournament. I don't play against a random person. Like, literally, I'm going to play against people substantially better than me the whole time. Um, and I, I, almost round my, I almost won singles um, in my first round. And the only reason I didn't win is because... I am a chicken, um, but I, I learned a ton, um, and a lot of it's actually super applicable to magic, um, so I'm going to go into that really quick. Um, the first thing I learned about is matchup knowledge, and the same thing I learned about is skill check, and my first round actually culminated into both, so um, it, the my first round opponent, um, I don't really know how to explain this, if you're not a magic player, this might not make sense. Or if you're not a Smash player, I was better on the sticks than my opponent was in the first round. Meaning, like, I was better on the buttons than my opponent. But However, play was technically tighter. Oh yeah, definitely. It, un unequivocally, I was the like more technically better player. What happened though is that my opponent uh, presented a skill check that I could not pass. Um and. In Magic, we're gonna. I think that we will eventually get into skill checks in Magic because I think that it's something we've never talked about on this podcast. My opponent, um, and now in every tournament I've ever played in, I have lost to an instant Aurora. Just uh, Mason already knows where this is going. Where's it going, Mason? Uh, well, they did a move that has, you know, a command grab us all the game, and they just did it over and over. Yeah. They realized that you just factually, well them, and they just over and over and over. Factually, both games, I was up a stock, and they just started command grabbing me, and I lost. Um, and it is so interesting, right? Because like, both games were extremely close. I should have won both, but I just both because of the way that I played the character that I play and because of the way th both of my characters, but whether it was Wolf or Squirtle in these situations, both have this dash distance that does not play well against command grabs. Um, not that they can't, right? Like, Wolf has... A, and, and the way that I'll create this to magic is, it's like, it's like if you overcommit to a board with against a control deck. I basically kept doing it, knowing it was wrong. Like, I was like, well, they won't do it this time. They won't do it this time. Like, knowing it was wrong. After I'm already ahead, like, after they're at one life, I kept doing it. And what's really funny is that it taught me a lot about um, a couple things. One, that sometimes skill checks are just patience checks. Like... I did the whole, like, I'm up two stocks to one. I clearly have, now I'm just like, okay, I just want to get the win. And then I cost myself a game. And I think this actually happens in Magic a ton for players. Like, a lot. But they're like, well, I just need to draw the burn spell, so I'm just going to be, like, aggressive and throw away stuff to, like, make sure that they don't have resources. When it's like, well, no... Give yourself as many opportunities to draw that burn spell as possible. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, and that's kind of crown in a nutshell for me. Um, the other thing that I learned is, like, we went um, in doubles. We, we played secondary. So Matt played his best character in Cloud, and I played my second best player.
character in K rule. Um, but actually, once we switched to zero suit PT, we actually did better. Um, and there was a lot of learnings in that, in just this, like, we understood what to do better by playing our most played characters. And it, it's funny because I think that in Magic, pretty often we underestimate matchup knowledge. Like, we just assume that we know best because we know our deck. Um, but something that I've, I've come to realize over the last, I don't know, like, couple months is the number of times where it's come up like, hey, Spencer, what do you think of this matchup? Um, or even, even reading Mason's sideboard guide that he sent me for the 1K that I played in. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't agree with Mason on how to sideboard for this, um, and was able to get a couple of wins for me in the way that I wanted to play the matchup, not the way that, that like, Mason, you might be able to say this better than me, but like, not the way that the matchup was going to play out, or like the theory of the matchup, but like, it's kind of that having a plan thing, right? Which is like. My plan with a specific character or a specific deck is going to determine how any of it will play out, right? And so I, what, what, actually we talked about this in the Cyborg Guide episode. I didn't use Mason's Cyborg Guide for Four Color as this law to follow. I used it as a how you should expect the matchup to play out type of guide. Um, so that was really interesting. Uh, my second one, because I, I wanted to put a couple in here because I miss weeks, is I've been working really hard on Mono Red <laughs> in Explorer slash uh, Pioneer. I think this deck is super underplayed, super underrated. I've gotten to talk about it a little bit in the Discord. Um, obviously, I, I tweeted a list after some events, but I, I think that this deck is the real deal. I think the big red versions are bad. I think that, like... I think that just straight up light up the stage is underplayed in this format. Um, and just prowess creatures are really good. Sure. I, I have a question for you. Because, you know, yeah. I, I think it's kind of good when we have these always improving moments. We get to dig a little into the actual format, especially if we make, like, we say stuff like, I think X is, like, under, you know? So here, here's my, my mono red haterade. Are you ready? I do know about your hate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So here's my haterade. I have some issues, and I'm curious what you think they can be solved. Because I do, because I, I said this in the Discord. I think Mono Red has to solve these issues. I think they're solvable. I'm just personally not putting time into it right now. Sure. Uh, which is maybe dumb, but like that's just the truth. So it feels to me like it's a deck that really wants to play Embercleave, and it's funny. I pulled up. The I deck don't. List. I don't want to play Embercleave. Well, well, let me. Let me. Sure. Let me, go ahead. I, 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 uh, Actually, the person who got fourth in the challenge decided who can play a version that I'm not super in love with looking at quickly, but it plays three Embercleave. Mm-hmm. It feels like a deck that's really committing to the board and would like a payoff card like Embercleave mm-hmm. or Torbrand or something along those lines, mm-hmm. something like big card. And it also feels like there's a lot of builds of the deck that are, are missing, like that just that little bit of burn or that like reach damage in some way, you know, mm-hmm. that like Ramanap Ruins or like having extra shocks would have. And how, how do you feel about that sort of statement? And how do you would you go about, like, which way do you think it makes the most sense to solve? I would, excuse me, I would assume with Light Up the Stage, being the card you think is underplayed, you'd like to have more of the shock type effects to close the door out. But uh, I was just curious what you thought about that, because I think that's kind of like the splitting point. And I see a lot of mono red decks seem to be like, be trying to do both without really succeeding at both. It's been my experience. Yeah, I, I think that 
there's a couple things. Um, one, I I think a lot of stage is really powerful. I think that Chandra three is also really powerful. Rest to kill. Yeah, and okay. this means that like if uh, I've seen a lot of people go a lot of different directions, whether it's been Embercleave, whether it's been Tollbrand, but I, I actually just don't think you need to even go that big. Like if you're gonna go bigger. I think a couple Chandra fours and honestly Goblin Chain Whirler is the way to go, where you're getting rid of these dorky things that stop you. The, a lot of this format is predicated on small things clogging up the board and then getting value from it. And if it's not a small thing, thing clogging up the board, it's like a really big thing, right? And that's when mono-red cyborg cards become really good, whether it's dealing 4 damage, or 6 damage, or 5 damage. Mono-red has a lot of really good cyborg options. And so for me, um, the way I ended up going was almost like... I mean, the thing is, is that Giant is so good at playing both sides of this, right? Where Stomp kills small things, becomes the biggest thing on the board. Um, Chandra gets you draw makes mana to go bigger while also making the mana to like play extra spells or activate your um your uh, what's the lightning bolt called and the uh was it lightning or skewer the critics skewer the critics so the other thing i was gonna say is i also have seen the wizards versions of these decks pop up right because there's a lot of wizards and to me it's like the natural synergy the, the natural thing that your deck is going to end up doing is playing Drestico, which means I'm going to have a lot of one mana damage, um, which means that to me, um, I get to play less lands because I get to play one mana spells like um, Spike Filled Hazard and like stuff like that. Uh, I, I have an insane record with this deck. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend that like, I know everything about this, but I have beaten other mono-red decks. I've adjusted my deck to beat the black-red decks. I also think that mono-red has the ability, because of the way that mono-green is set up, to get free wins on that deck. Now, mono-green is really powerful. If they've got the 4-4s, four like, you're going to lose some number of those games, but mono-red is in the position where, like, to me, it is the third or second best deck in the format. Interesting. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I think it is interesting how underdeveloped, well, I guess a, a, a nicer way to say it is how much room there is for the mono red deck to still be flushed out and, and like figured out in a lot of ways, right? Like, like you're saying you have this sort of one development, right? Which is like pretty uh, different, uh, different while similar to some of the things going on, but there's still just like a lot of different things the red deck can be doing, and we haven't seen a lot of time be put into the red deck and like yeah. see the results from it. It's just I also think that red has this plethora of one drops that other decks just don't have in the format. Uh, I think that Bowmat Courier is playable across the board. I think, I mean, we obviously have the uh, the saga. I don't remember the name of the saga off the top of my head. Silkenzon faces Kamano. Oh my gosh, that's such a long name. No wonder I didn't remember it. Uh, I'm then a you've got Vanguard player. Maybe. Yeah. The I, <laughs> then then you've got like obviously the um the uh, prowess creatures, right? And there's just not another deck like that in this format. Like 
you the the closest argument you might have is like I don't know, like Delver decks, if you wanted to play like a ton of one drops. Mm-hmm. I just I don't think it's good. I just I, I think I think expressive variation getting banned was a huge benefit for this deck. Where everybody's man is pretty bad. You get to do one thing a lot, and when your one thing isn't good, you have really powerful cyborg cards. So Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, are you so you're telling me RCQ this Saturday, Spencer Hallam's got mono red. No, I, I, pl- I play I play green red. Yeah, you play green red. Yeah. I, so hold, hold. You son of a gun. So I, I wrote the show notes before I started working on green red again, because I took two weeks off from Magic. Um, I, I tweeted about this day, but like I now have an explorer list that goes alongside my pioneer list, so that I can kind of check and check myself. Um, pretty easily in that format. Now that being said, um, we'll get into it a little bit later, but there will be a reason why I play different decks at different events because my number of RCQs will be really limited moving forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Awesome. What about you? What's your always improving moment this week? Well, I've been doing a lot of coaching sessions recently, and I've been doing a lot of them with listeners of the show. And a thing has come up over and over and over again in these sessions. And it's been a really always improving moment is that um, some of the anal- uh, like the examples and stuff that are used in the show are really great. And some are really, uh, they're awkward to kind of fully understand. Uh, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of coaching recently. Um, I've been doing some coaching with listeners of the show. And one thing that's been coming up a bunch is that some of the examples are really, really good. Like the the modern stuff, like if they know it, that's really great at helping it be applicable. We had the comment a couple of weeks ago uh, from a listener about how like, you know, they know Pioneer and so blah, blah. And we've been trying to walk that line. The one that kind of came up a bunch was um, like when we talk about like good decks and reasonable decks and stuff like that, like what's going on. So the always improving moment really comes from like, hey, maybe for some of this stuff that we're generalizing really quickly, at some point we have to spend a little bit of time talking about it. And the things like when I stopped on the show and talked about how we were talking about pushing the button every week with a deck, right? And that's why we think a deck like Rhinos isn't good. When we talk to you, the listener, like when we can't have a conversation with you and we're really talking to you, that was really informative. It felt like for a lot of listeners, because they're like, oh, I get it now. It's not that Rhinos can never be good. It's just that it's so rarely the right thing. You don't want us wasting our money. And I'm like, yes, 100%. So that was really uh, informative and really uh, enlightening. And also there's a bunch of other things that happen along those lines that I think are going to lead to some good shows along there. But I also want to spend my always improving moment talking about what do I mean when I say reasonable decks, just so that we kind of have like a baseline understanding because going into RCQs and stuff like that, there's going to be some misconception. So a lot of people thought what I meant is like the tier S, like the best decks going on in the format or whatever. So like, Mono green, red, black, mono red, like Spitzer's saying, and Pioneer, those would be examples. You missed mono blue, but let's keep going. Sure, sure, you know, whatever. But, like, you have all of those different uh, decks as, like, the S tier. And that's what they thought by reasonable deck. They were like, oh, you mean only the, the cream of the crop. And that's not really what I mean. I, I mean decks that are, like, you know, probably not as good as those other decks, um, but they're still like reasonable choices that make sense. For example, might be like arc, like the blue red stuff. I think right now is in a really formative stage, and there's had to be a lot of work getting done on those to figure out what it is. 
But we saw how Arclight Phoenix actually won and got second place in the challenge. Like, if you were to play one of those decks, I think that's a reasonable choice. It's probably not the best choice. I think Monogreen is the best choice in Pioneer. But, you know, it's a choice that makes sense. Like, the Heroic deck, which our listener Andrew here top eight of the challenge with uh, this past weekend, uh, that deck is a reasonable deck. It has a proactive game plan with cyborg plans that make sense, and you're presenting a game plan that's reasonable. It's not something that's like, Grixis Bolas, I have a bunch of four drops. Yeah, I, I think I think that's what we're talking about. I think that the key here, I, I love that you talked about like how how much we can add on to each other here, is I'm on the same page as you. Like, you're I'm I'm talking I'm talking up Mono Red, right? I'm like, no, this deck is like, like it's really good. Like, if you're trying to play a proactive deck, it, it might be the best. It might be better than Black Red right now, like in my opinion. And you're like, oh, that's what you're playing? And I'm like, no, I played green-red. And and the, the important thing here is we're not telling you to play the best deck. We're saying pick a deck that works for you and the game plan you're trying to execute with the plan that you're trying to have. But not having a plan and not having an idea of what you're, what you're trying to play against, that's going to lead to failure. Right? It is... It is a culmination of things, not just... You You can't just literally show up with... Oh, man, this is such a boomer take. You can't just literally show up with Blue-Eyed Delver or Blue-Eyed Stoneblade and win. Like, that's just not a thing. Like, sure, if you're the only one playing Nyssa at your PTQ, you can qualify for a Pro Tour. But, like... That, that just happens to Mason Clark. There's nobody else that happens to. It was Uro. Thank you very much. Oh, my sorry. My bad. I, I apologize. Uro. You're right. That was I Matt Kling that happened to. Uh, yeah. But you get my point, right? Like, it's, it is... Reasonable deck doesn't mean pick pick the best deck. Now, if you ask it my... It can mean that. It can, but yeah. That's, 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 that's not, we're not trying to exclude anything. We're just basically saying things that have real game plans and that you can execute on. Right. What you said there, though, that plan part, right? Have a game plan. If I'm playing mono red, I know green is hard. What am I trying to do against green? I know black red is hard. What am I trying to do there? I know the rest of my matchups are like buys because they're all trying to be freaking green. What it, like it is? It is about this this moment of of if if X happens, here's my why. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the why. Which is funny. I picked Y for a reason. That was a good, good one. I'll take credit for anybody in the comments. Uh, then you don't, you don't have a good reason to play the deck. You can, you. I'm a dad. I'm allowed to make dad jokes. Sure. Okay. Totally. <laughs> Not trying to take away your rights, King. Yeah. It's, oh, wrong week for that. Uh, we have no Patreon shoutouts this week. But I, I want to give a shout out to our patrons because our Discord has been hopping. Um, by more, by more, like, oftentimes when we say that, it's been like, oh, one person's been really active, but like, our Patreon Discord's been hopping. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I cannot been. keep up with it. Yeah, you're slacking, dude. I, I mean, I'm usually the one that's pushing the conversation, and like, I, I can't keep up with it. I just huge shout out to our patrons. 
You you enabled Slack. I see. Oh my gosh. I see you. I'm, I'm actually, I literally I'm have nine feeling. years of doing this. You can give me a three week break. <laughs> Let's go to some housekeeping really quick, though, Mason. If I can steal the reins for a moment. Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, first of all, I just want to give a huge shout out to our new sponsor. Game Grid. Oh man, what are you about to do? You about to pull something up? Oh, I thought I was like, I don't think I sent you your shirt yet, so I don't know what you about to do. Uh, I just huge shout out. Um, and I'm a little scared to announce the thing that I'm about to announce. Uh, only because like it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, but I will be taking a step back from playing in competitive Magic events. Because I will be commentating all of the 1K+, plus, meaning the, like, 1 to 3K events, plus bigger ones, for Gingrid moving forward. Uh, huge shout out to them for that. Um, we also will next week be announcing a promotional code for the show. Um, the number of things that Gingrid is working on with us is amazing. If you haven't checked out their inventory... I know that a lot of you have. I can see how many of you are doing it. Uh, there's a link in the show notes with our reference code that tells us that you're checking it out. It's super helpful for the show. Click that. Jordan's amazing. The store's amazing. Um, the fact that they're trusting us, they're sponsoring our events, which is the next thing to talk about. Our open events are coming back. I posted a picture of the trophy, Mason. Uh... What did you think of the trophy? Did I pick good? It cool. Is it is it a good trophy? Yeah, it's a pretty good trophy. Here's yeah. The I mean, issue shipping that thing. I think it's big. Oh, I already have the box. There you go. I already have the box. I already have the wrap. It's already re-wrapped in the box ready to ship. Like, I opened it up to take the picture, re-wrapped it, put it back in the box. Like, was like, not messing with it. It's actually why it's not here. Like, you're like, Spencer, where's the trophy? I want to see in the trophy. I'm like, no. It's, it is... It is packed up, ready to ship again. I'm not. I'm not redoing this. Um, but it, it's a sick trophy. You should check out my Twitter. Um, that being said, Mason, we got to decide on the podcast right now. I was hoping Abe would be here for this. We did a poll, and it was almost a tie between Explorer and Pioneer for what format we would run for our open. What do you think? I think it's got to be Pioneer. I just think that's like the format where like you know people can spend their time doubly for RCQs and stuff. There's just nothing with like Explorer like that. Lock it in. Over to as many. That is also what won the vote by like a slim margin. You hear it here right now on the show. The CCMTG Open will be Pioneer ten dollar entry fee. If you're a patron of ten dollars more, you get free entry, five hundred dollars store credit to Game Gridley High guaranteed. A trophy on the line. Oh man, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's great content for us. We get a whole pioneer episode out of it too. It's a win win. It's so it's good really for us. Cause effective episode too. Alright, last thing for housekeeping. Mason, there was a lot of confusion. I gotta grab some stuff down here. Just gonna open these bags up because people people were confused. They were confused as to what I was saying. So I have to do this on the show. I said we have three wristbands. <laughs> we got a blue one. 
We got a white one. We got a blue and black one. The colors of the show. That's it. That's the whole thing. You get two if you're a patron. Which, which, two, oh, also the glow in the dark ones being the white ones and the blue ones come in kid sizes. Which ones do you want? The number of people were like, I want CCMTG ones. I was like, they're, they're all that. They're, all they're, that. they're, they're all, they're CCMTG wristbands. I would like my blue and black one, please. Uh, yeah, you and Ava are both going to get. I gotta hand them out. I, I, gotta, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I I'm have so I have many. I have so many wristbands. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna give them to my opponents. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign the slip. I've done like, that. Hey kid, and I'm gonna throw it in their lap. I've like, done that. <laughs> uh, I also had of an opponent at a GP after I was giving them out at the beginning of every round. This is such a fun story. I'm gonna tell them the podcast. I wouldn't throw it at me after I beat them. That's funny. Because I top decked on them, and they're like, "Screw your show," and they threw it at me and walked away. Okay. Heck yeah. They handled themselves well in that situation. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I was the bad guy in that situation. But no, wristbands are coming out. Trophies are happening. Sponsorship. I just want to give a huge shout out to Game Grid for making a lot of this possible. You know, I, I think that I'm really excited for the future. If you want to watch that content, it'll be on our, our YouTube channel. Like, you can watch rounds of whatever the format is on our YouTube channel each month so but mason you you have a topic to talk about i do we are going to be talking um the topic in the name of the episode you know is mana value which is also the new word for converted mana cost but there's more to it than that you know uh mana value and like the value you get how you use your mana and stuff like that is super important when you think about it magic really is a game uh in a lot of ways about using your mana efficiently and like mana plays like this kind of huge role in the game and so uh mana is also a way to kind of dictate how powerful something is right so like i think a great example of this off the cuff is the card lightning bolt right like that's a card we talk about a lot it's red deal three damage that's really strong now skewer the critics right is lightning bolt a lot of the time but sometimes it's not you know and there's a lot of things that go into all of that and so it's a way to kind of know how strong a card is by its mana efficiency so today we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things about mana and the, the first one to talk about is mana efficiency so like the rate at which a card is is pretty important and looking at that mana cost in a card and how much mana you're using for it uh is pretty important am i right spencer yeah i there historically there have been i i, I use a really good example of this I mean, I don't know if it's a good example, but historically, three ones for two with an effect have been really hard to judge in Magic. Because on rate, they're good, right? They're four for two, and then their effect dictates how good they are, right? And so what you're getting for your effect... It's funny that you mentioned Lightning Bolt for one mana, because like if I gave you the ability, I don't know, Ancestral Recall, right? And then read you the card Divination and told you both of them saw Constructed Play. You'd be like, what? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And for mana efficiency, um, the number of times I think Predict is a really good example right now in Magic. That is a two mana draw spell, right? Mm-hmm. That sees a ton of play just because of its mana efficiency. 
I don't I don't know that anybody's ever read the card Predictum and like this is just a great magic card. There's a lot of things that need to happen to How many listeners do you think actually know what Predict does all No, that's fair. What does Predict do, Mason? Predict is one in a blue instant to target a player, name a card. If you name it correctly, uh, <laughs> mill it and draw two. Otherwise, <laughs> mill it and draw one. So what? Uh, so hold on. This card seems wild, right? Yeah. So how does this card end up seeing play outside of mana efficiency? Well, it has uh, synergies and stuff along with it, right? So uh, the the very easy example is this is a card, by the way, that's played in Legacy a lot, um, is there's a card called Brainstorm. And Brainstorm is a pretty universal card. You hear a lot of things called Brainstorm. And Brainstorm is basically draw three cards and then put two cards from your hand on top of your deck. And so with a card like Predict, you might have a card that you don't want to draw again, right? Like maybe you have a, a dead card in the matchup or a land and you're flooding out. Well, now you can name Predict and go like, hey, I'm going to guess that my card is Island. And uh-oh, I hit it, and now I've drawn two cards. And so now I've moved through some cards and done it. It also has weird synergies like with cards like Aether Gust, right? Like maybe your opponent plays a big green spell, and you Aether Gust it. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm drawing that one again. Well, I can now predict and name you. And I'm like, I think you have, you know, Elder Gargaroth. And they're like, oh, no, how did you know? And then you draw two cards. So the card has a lot of the cards work together really well. No, it it's true, right? Whereas like mana efficiency is about getting the most out of your mana. Right? And and one of the things that will co probably come up a lot in this episode is the value of a card in combination with its mana cost. Right? I think a really good example of mana efficiency that we took a really long time as magic players to understand is planeswalkers. Like, and we still get it wrong, man. Like, look at the Wandering Emperor. Look at that card. What does that card do, Mason? Everything in between. It's like, it's four mana, do everything. It's, it's, it's crazy. Chase the Mind Sculptor, four mana, do everything. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Chandra dressed to kill, right? Mm -hmm. Holy crap, did I miss on that card? It just looked like another three mana Chandra to me. Another three mana draw card Chandra with some other abilities. That's not what the card did. It's just not what it did. And so when you look at something like Express Evideration on mana efficiency. It asks a different question. You mentioned Brainstorm, right? That card seems innocuous if you haven't played with it before. Um, I don't know. I'm, like, just naming cards at this point. I don't know if that's actually that helpful in helping listeners understand mana efficiency, right? But one of the... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think the thing that helps listeners understand this is, like, what value am I trying to get out of a mana? A colored mana is what I would say, right? Like, you know, a red is worth more than... A red is worth less than a red and a blue. A red is worth less than a red and a green. You know, whatever the pips are, they're worth something. And it's up to us to decide how efficient and worth that thing is. Yeah, so th this comes up... Um in polarizing ways in in uh, older formats and in uh, smaller formats like Standard and to a lesser extent Pioneer and Explorer, it comes up as well. But like what Spencer's saying about like 
how much you want to get and how much can you also get else in the format, right? So like a great example of this might be uh, Path to Exile, right? That's a, for a white, will answer anything in, uh, you know, any creature that your opponent can have in exchange, they get a land, right? And so now there's this bar for removal where it's like, hey, Path isn't the end-all be-all, but it does answer everything. So if I'm going to play a card instead of Path to Exile, it needs to be more mana efficient or have more coverage and do more things, right? There's kind of a baseline best effect. So, like, uh, if we were to use Pioneer as an example, right? Like, uh, Strangle uh, does the most for killing a creature with the lowest barrier to entry, right? Like, Fiery Impulse requires having Spell Mastery. Lightning requires discarding a card. So, Strangle just does three. And so, if you're... And Strangle hits Planeswalkers, right? Like, it does... It does everything but face. Yeah. And so, like, that, that sets, like, the line, right? So, like, now you have an idea of what's going on and what your, like, efficiency of mana looks like. And so when you're picking your cards, you want to make sure that you're being mana efficient because you don't want to be playing the clunky version of a card before playing the efficient version, right? Like, maybe your deck wants that four mana deal four, right? But it probably wants to have all the two mana deal threes first. Uh, that's I... because it allows you to start double spelling, which is a huge thing in magic and it's often the most powerful thing to be doing i'm gonna go like medium boomer on the listeners here and talk about stoke the flames as a card mm -hmm. because this is a card that was really misunderstood for a hot minute so for those who don't know stoke the flames is red red two deal four anywhere and there's a caveat to this card that it has convoke so what you could do is you would tap any number of creatures to make it cost one well one less, and then if you tap it, well, it's even more deeper than that, because if you tapped a red creature, it tapped for a red mana for Convoke. So it was, it, it's, and uh, this card was basically zero mana deal for. It was, it, it, it and some other cards took over standard. Like, they just completely changed the metagame. And it seems like a four mana deal four would just not do that, right? But you were able to build your deck in a way where it became your late game where you got to hold the ground and then do this thing. And I think that our next segment and how mana efficiency works with things actually breaks it down pretty well because one of the important things is double spell turns, right? Like... Um, it, I'm going to do a butcher this, so correct me wherever you can hear me, Sin, but, like, the power of actions per game is something that's not talked about enough in Magic, which is funny because other games, whether it's fighting games, uh, whether it's, um, uh, uh, oh, my gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Fighting games is one. Um, holy crap, I literally just was thinking of... Oh, other, uh, um, like StarCraft, real-time strategy games, right? The number of actions you get to take can dictate your win, right? And in Magic, there's only one way to do that, right? And that's decreasing the amount of mana it takes you to take an action. So how do double spell turns affect both your mana efficiency and the, the value of a card? Yeah, so... Uh, often, you know, with with double spell turns, uh, you're 
in case you're curious, it's just playing two spells in a turn, right? Uh, at least maybe even more. Uh, you're really getting to do more things in the game and swing the game way harder. And so you often don't see this in things like Standard or Pioneer until like you get to a bunch more mana because the cards are uh, often less mana efficient and they're a little clunkier, a little bigger, you know, like a lot more three and four drops in your deck. So it's harder to double spell. But we see cards every now and again break into Standard and Pioneer uh, that allow you to double spell early because they're cheap and have an impact on the game. And we see cards like Ledger Shredder really maximize this, right? Where you cast two spells, you get to connive. Um, and so when you've ever played Ledger Shredder, you can see how impactful it is to do two different things. And sometimes that thing is like, play a creature, kill your creature, right? Sometimes it's draw some cards, kill your creature. And now I'm up on some resources and impacted the game. Where if your opponent's only doing one thing to impact the game each turn, that thing needs to be very powerful and hard to overcome because your opponent, if they are just doing more things, can often overwhelm you. You know, the Is It deck in uh, Pioneer, for example, doesn't do a lot of really strong impact things until a certain point. But it does a lot of little things to set up for that point and allows itself to swing those games. So that's like an example of how double spell can get there. It's funny because I think about the number of times where like spells saw play specifically to double spell. I think the most obvious of these is duress. Like, when do you see main deck duress, Mason? When, Almost never. Yeah, right. It's Not in formats. <laughs> well, I mean, we saw it this last calendar year in the um, the witch decks, right? They just started playing main deck duress just to get a maximum number of spell slots. Um, I know that. Uh, Ali Antrazi years ago top aided an SCG with four duress, four demise. Is it demise? The planeswalker creature one? Oh, despise. Despise, thank you. And it, it really is about like, okay, how can I get the most out of my mana? Mm -hmm. And so, to me, double spell turns. Uh, one of the reasons that I think that Jun decks, for example, and when I say Jund, I mean like Boomer Classic Jund are so effective is because they get to double spell quickly. They get to Lightning Bolt, Fatal Push, Thought Seize, whatever. Removal Spell plus Discard Spell plus Tarmic plus Bob plus whatever they're doing really quick. They disrupt you, play a threat. Disrupt you, play a threat. And this is the same thing that Blue White Delver did in Standard that wrecked Havoc years ago. Or or Cobblade, where they played Spell Pierce and Dismember or other decks. It was all about mana efficiency. But that's not the same thing as mana value. And I think that understanding what mana means and the value of your mana is really interesting. And I have a question that's not in the show notes, Mason. Did Hearthstone and other games affect your opinion of mana value differently in Magic? Uh, not so much me uh, for those games. But I will tell you the game that did. But it's going to be a bad one for listeners because it just came out. It's called Marvel Snap, uh, which is the Marvel TCG that is in closed beta right now. But essentially, here's all you need to know. You get a mana each turn, but there's only six turns in the game. The game always ends on turn six. There's no turn seven. There's no six turns every turn. And 
your deck is quite small, whatever, because that, but when you're building your deck, you like know you only have what is it? I think it's 22 mana or whatever total to spend uh, across all the turns. And so, really looking for efficiency and threats and what kind of answer you're trying to solve, that did help it. Where Hearthstone really taught me about the value of always using all your mana and less so about double spelling because at the time Hearthstone was more of an all your mana game. It's not true anymore, by the way. I, I was going to say, Hearthstone is all about double spelling now, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's changed <laughs> they, a lot. Since they the caught up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to play Chill Wind Yeti back in the day, so you know. Oh man, like, four mana, four fives. Ooh, let's go. I'd say you know formats balance, baby. No, I I think that's a good point, right? Like the fact that we I think we talked about this like I don't know four weeks ago on the podcast at this point about kind of how Hearthstone had to catch up to Magic in a lot of ways. And I think that this topic that you're bringing to the table, it's really important. And honestly, Chilwin Yeti um, and other, I mean, and maybe Pelucranos or like other four mana spells, it's just a good version of this. But like, Mason, how many times have you traded two mana for a four mana for your opponent? Oh, uh, a bunch. And it is backbreaking every time. Why? It, it... Well, because I, I use so much less resources than my opponent, right? Like, if you think of it as, like, um, kind of like a game where at the end of the game, whoever put the most money in savings won, right? And that's mana spent. And they spent four mana on the Pelucranos. So they got four into savings. But I spent $2 and took four from them, right? And so now at the end of the game, my investment of $2 went way more and took away from them. And by trading efficiently on mana not only am i opening up myself to double spell but i'm also setting them back on a huge pivotal turns right because we're talking about trading two for four that's really good what if i traded my air gust in this example right for a six drop right like your big green creature the way it scales is like exponential where the more mana you spend and the more you get punished by the cheap spells the more in, uh I guess impactful, but game swinging it really is. So another great example you mentioned earlier is like duress, right? While duress doesn't work exactly the same because the mana wasn't spent by your opponent yet, but taking one mana to take their turn off so they can't spend mana is a huge thing. Oh man, the number of times where I, I mean, I'm a ramp player at heart, Mason, right? So like somebody duresses my cultivate and I'm like, oh my gosh, like... I don't. Shit. I don't even. I don't even know what to do. Like, I'm. In, I'm in trouble. Um, what's even funnier is, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about the number of times where, the the savings account example is really funny, because there's there's also times where, you can really get them right, like where they're sinking mana into something. Um, and those those are what a lot of people consider like the blowout turns, right? They are, uh, there was a really common play pattern, I don't know, like, ugh, man, it's so long now, four years ago, where creatures just had this ability to activate and get some number of 1-1 counters uh, to gain an extra ability. Uh, Outlast from a decade ago? Oh, I was not talking about Outlast, it was after that, thanks for the even the more boomer take. I'm thinking of like, uh, uh what? Oh, oh, the one where it's the Simic ability. Yeah, the Simic one. What is that one called? Adapt, I think. Adapt, yeah, that's the one. Like, 
there's lots of really good adapt creatures, right? Like you've got um, the the crab that goes Both and grabs guardian. Both guardian guardian goes and grabs other guardians, stuff like that. There's lots of play patterns where you have to think about not only your mana efficiency but their mana efficiency. Mason, but it, it brings us back to a point though. And I want to I want to bring up both of them because we're actually not even to the point in which you brought up the episode. We haven't even gotten to the point in why you wanted to talk about this. So I want to quickly go through resource management, which you've already kind of touched on, and actions per game, which I've already touched on. What what's happening here? Like, is is it only vintage legacy and modern where this happens? Because I I don't think so. I think that like there are times where you can abuse standard to this. There are times where you can abuse these two things. Yeah, so, um, you know, I mentioned when talking about it earlier, how typically in the older formats you see it happen more because there's just so many cards. You can get a bunch of effects for cheap, right? So you get to do this more. In standard, typically cards are designed to kind of go up the curve a little bit and kind of there are like bell curve points of it where they're higher in certain density spots. But... Sometimes there are decks you can play in standard to take advantage of this, and we see it happen all the time, where there's, like, maybe the mono-red aggressive deck that's all one-drops, or maybe it's, like, an infect-type deck, like uh, Pummeler in standard is a pretty good example of, like, you know, it had, like, a couple threes, but for the most part, it was all ones and twos, and really unloaded its hand really quick. We see it happen in Pioneer with the Spirits deck, the Heroic deck, where, you know, your your deck is all one and two-drops. That's That's all you have. And so... Um, you're able to really get under people, do more things than them, and use your resources more effectively, and your opponent's stuck playing all these clunky cards if they're not doing an efficient thing. Uh, and that can really just throw someone off. When you're doing more things, it's just so much harder to catch back up in the game if you don't have some huge stabilizing card. I got to play some amount during my break. I just was trying to do fun stuff, and one of the decks that I played was Teamer Marvel in Explorer. The number of people who do not understand the energy mechanic to this day, you'd think like, oh, that's not that long ago. It, it Mason, it's, it's a pretty long time ago. Uh, yeah, no, it's six years. Oh, don't say that. Is that really that long? It's, it's I, got I don't, it. I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that. Um, no. I mean, is that? I literally have a state champion met from this time. Yeah, September. It's 30th, six years ago. Kaladesh. Holy crap, the state champion play mat says 2016 on it. I'm yeah, so upset right now. Uh, oh, man. Going to the next... I need a new state champion play mat, guys. Um, okay, uh, that upset me. Um, my point is... Oh, that's upsetting. Um, it's crazy when people face their mortality. Compared uh, to oh, man, listen, wild. man, I had I had two kids. It's I knew that this was happening to me, but like it's it is what it is. I I think that understanding, I think that man, you just really messed me up. Hold on. I thought you brought up. I it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Um. I think a Tomb of Either is the dumbest band in the history of magic. At the same time, I think that it asks a question that magic players have not always been good at answering, which is what is the value of a card? What is the value of a mana? 
What is the value of a spot in your deck? And we've talked about cards like you. I, I actually really like the the um, the one red deal three sorcery three mana. Uh, yeah, the skewer of the critics example. What what is skewer of the critics in your deck? Because you're definitely you definitely don't want it to be skewer of the critics, right? So you are planning on double spelling with that card, or you're planning on repetitive damage with your creatures or whatever right and so for me like the actions per game the resource management question comes down to where where are we looking at a card and so much of this is it's funny because like i feel like we're getting really deep into deck building but i actually think you can go outside of deck building because what ends up happening is let's go real out Let's go to like four color Yorion in modern. You say real out, I say home. Okay. <laughs> but but what I'm saying is like you're not that efficient. You are as efficient as you need to be. But you're not like you're you're planning on certain things happening. Um and I think that you, one of the things you're planning on is double spells. One of the things you're planning on is trading up on mana. I want you to... Can you kind of wrap that up before we move on? And and you're planning on taking a lot more actions per game than your opponent. Holy. Can you talk about that before we move on to curve and mana bases? Because I think that yeah. they will actually all roll into that. Yeah, totally. So, like, specifically about, like, Four Color Yorion, like what Spencer said, it's weirdly true a lot of the time, but also sometimes not because of the nature of how the games play out. But basically... Your like like your like your deck has like if you look at it it's like got a bunch of ones a bunch of twos some threes and fours some fives but in reality a lot of your fives are actually zeros and that is why they are strong and playable cards is because you trade no mana you lose a card but you trade no mana in exchange for all the mana your opponent spent and that's why cards like Force of Will are so strong is that when the game is going to end you're then able to trade cards with it. it's why Solitude is so strong. If your opponent's hammered up creature is going to kill you, you would gladly trade no mana, no setup time, and lose your Yorion or your Teferi or Omnath in exchange to kill their thing and set them back all while you've used your mana. So the deck really looks to use a lot of uh, ways to generate extra card advantage to make that up. And this is why the free spells and the pitch spells are so strong typically. Even though you're down a card, you're up so much mana. And it's also kind of why Counterspell is stronger typically than Thoughtseize, right? Thoughtseize can punch a hole in your game plan, but the opponent didn't spend mana on it. You did. Same way with this. You don't. Sort of thing. You don't get that trading mana thing we talked about earlier, right? Where like, mm -hmm. you you kind of talked about this earlier, but like, if I counterspell your primeval titan, I I time walked you. Like you're you're donezo for that turn. If I thoughtseize your primeval titan, you can still cast anything. Yeah, I have to get lucky to create that time walk situation. And sometimes you do get that, right? Like you thought sees it, your opponent has one two drop, you take their two drop, they miss turn two, and you've created that. But it isn't as impactful as your opponent using their mana. They still get to leave mana up. You know, like let's say they had a fatal push in their hand. Now you can't develop your two into it because you know they don't have a two. And so it kind of has snowballing effects, right? Um, and this is why the pitch spells are so strong. This just to get back to it real quick. Because your opponent has spent mana on the thing, and you have not spent mana. And you've lost cards, 
but it's okay to lose cards when your opponent has that, especially if they are a game pivotal and swinging cards, you know? Like, if your opponent is going to living end you, you would much rather lose Omnath and cast Endurance than lose the game, right? And you getting to develop a threat, like maybe you play a Teferi Time Reveler, and your opponent Odawaras it, and then living ends, right? You now get to Endurance them. And now you've got to use your mana, and you see how much more efficient that is than if your opponent got to do something else a different way. These are all just a bunch of ways to say that mana is weirdly what magic is about. There's a lot of trading, and there's a lot of like cards and how they line up and how strategies line up. But if your cards don't function mana-wise, and your mana doesn't function, and your deck isn't like efficient, you cannot play the deck. Is why some things just don't exist because they don't have enough mana efficient ways, despite, you know, seeming like a particularly strong strategy. Uh, we got asked an interesting question a few days ago okay. from a few listeners that was like, what are your evergreen episodes mm-hmm. of CC? Like you guys have done hundreds of episodes. And I didn't even want to recommend stuff. I was like, I could explain this so much better today. And one of the ones that I thought about that I didn't recommend is was the premise of the show for two years, Mason. Do you know what it is? No. Managing your resources. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And um, the reason I didn't want to recommend it is like, I, I, we could just do a better job of explaining it today. Because not only has magic changed in the four plus years since we did that episode, I think we even did a revisit since then. Um, I think that I think that things like the introduction of pitch elementals in modern, um, really efficient draw spells like expressive expressive iteration in standard, um the changing of the interaction of the graveyard between standard modern like the game has changed and the number of resources you need to care about weirdly has increased like you used to care about the resources you cared about now i think that almost all decks care about a lot more resources if not all of them um, and one of the things that, one of the reasons that I brought up four color is because I think that it, you know, I think that comes into this idea of both, you talked about how you have these one and two drops, right? Um, some of your two drops act as four drops or five drops. Some of your five drops act as zero drops. And what ends up happening is you get this culmination of where you're really focused you've got this focal point of where the game ends up happening where you get to decide when you double spell you decide when you trade up or down on mana or up on cards or down on cards you can decide when you double spell you get to you get to manage your resources with four color yorion in a way in modern that makes it the most powerful deck no no other deck gets to do this like there are decks that get to do a lot of it. Like, I think that Blue-Red uh, Murktide does a lot of this. It doesn't... And Shadow does, too. Yeah, Shadow... No, that's a good point, too. 
those those decks do a lot of it. They don't do all of it, right? Um, I don't like playing the four color deck. I didn't get to talk about this on the podcast a few weeks ago. I, it's not fun to me. Also, I think the deck's really hard. Um, one of the reasons it's really hard is you you literally get to do all of it. Your deck does all of it. You get to play any part of the game. Uh, It's really funny. We talked about Smash at the beginning of the show. Um, One of the things that we're doing in Magic right now on this podcast is talking about archetypes. It's really funny to me when people call this a control deck. Because in what world is... it, It is a control deck because it gets to play control... It's controlling because you get you, you, <laughs> you get to pick. You get to pick what you are. Well, yeah, but that's like in the deck building phase, right? Like the four color shell can be like the element, like the tra- like so since you've been gone, the traverse stuff, right? Like yeah, no, no, no absolutely. I yeah. I mean I I this this deck gets to be what it wants to be, and gets to do it according to this specific topic, right? Um there might not have been a better time to do this topic than right now because modern is dominated by a deck that gets to play all of these facets. Additionally to that, um, because I want to move on to the mana base thing. Uh, Mason, have you looked at legacy recently? Uh, a little bit. I, I, I recently bought elves and been playing a bunch of elves. So I, I've been, I've been a little bit of a legacy here. Are you aware of the Yorion, uh, abundant growth craze in Legacy. Uh, I, I've seen I, those decks don't really live very long against me, so I, I've seen them in the queue. So, so they happen. They also are doing a lot of top eights, mm-hmm. whether it's Bant, whether it's you know all oh, of. Oh yeah, they, they seem strong. I, yeah, but I I'm curious your thoughts on to. I don't know, like the. How, how are you... I mean, we, we talked about double spelling. We talked about mana efficiency. Um, this is something that is a ramp player I care a lot about or a mid-range player I care a lot about. But, like, how do you care about your mana base when it comes to mana value? Well, I care a lot about my mana base. And I care a lot about having the uh, sufficient number of sources to consistently play my cards. Um and this has been like a, a thing that in my time and coming to magic has really changed. Like players have really been upping the amount of lands in their deck. Uh, and it was the thing that was a little faux pas when I first started playing about six years ago now. Um, and magic is a game where you need to have mana to cast your spells. Like we've been talking about this whole episode, right? And so when I'm building a mana base, I want to be super mindful that I can consistently do my thing and I'm enabling my spells being cast. Because if I don't do that, my cards aren't mana efficient. My cards don't allow me to double spell. I can't actually do anything efficiently or effectively if I don't have a mana base that allows me to do this. And this is why I think in formats without fetch lands, you're kind of often better off having, well, the business of the mana fixing, but without good mana fixing, I should say, you want to stick with less colors because you can consistently do your thing. If you have a deck that involves lots of colors and not a lot of ways to fix the mana you just have like you know a bunch of tap lands your deck isn't going to function so i care a lot about how many you know 
actual blue sources and red sources I have in a deck because I want my deck to function because that's how I actually am mana efficient and double spell. I don't want to be missing turns. I don't want to be not able to cast my cards. And it kind of comes into everything, you know, like I can't manage my resources. I can't make game actions. I can't do anything if I do not have mana that works. And having mana that doesn't work and having insufficient lands and everything in between just dooms you from the start. You lose the game before it even started playing. It's funny because, like, we see the flip lands, the spell lands, the cycle lands. Like, they've done a lot to encourage us to just literally put more lands in our deck for free. And honestly, we people give a lot of crap to wizards, but good on them. Like, they've made magic better doing that. No, I agree. I, you also just get to play more of your games too. You do, right? yeah. Because you just have more lands in your deck, which is a which is a huge benefit to getting to play more lands, right? Like getting mana screwed is something that you don't want to have happen to you. So if you're playing more lands, you might flood more, right? But if you have some ways to use your mana, that should be fine. And we see, like Spencer mentioned, cards like Den of the Bugbear, Hive of the Eye Tyrant, all the Storm Giants, these creature lands that are playable in lots of formats that give you a mana sink in your lands and give you a reason to have extra lands. Because if you flood out a little bit, well, you get something to do still. And you get to play the game and start double spelling consistently and that's your plan. So more lands, good. Like the heroic deck, maybe wants 21 lands, you know? Like, <laughs> you gotta be That's so go. cool, because like, there's a time where that was a 17 land deck, right? Like straight up, we're talking about, what is that like? 10% of your, or 8% of your deck? Yeah. Like, that's wild! Um, Mason, I totally commandeered this episode from you. That's okay. And I want to pitch it back to you to wrap this up. Is there something that we need to talk about before we wrap up? Mana bases are the least fun part of magic. And looking at your mana and everything like that is the least fun part by a lot. I, can I, can I say something? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you play tested with Michael Hinderocker, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Hindi. I, so we were, we were doing, I have to tell this story. It's so funny. Uh, we were doing something and a bunch of, one of the things that we used to do for proto testing is I would buy everybody like uh, notepads to like mm -hmm. brew decks as we would talk about decks, take notes in, right? And um, I could immediately identify. We, we moved and we kept a lot of them because there was just so much blank paper on those. We were going to throw those away. But I could immediately everything that was Michael Hinderockers. The Hindi father, bless his soul, over at the Watsy Co. Um, because he would just put 21 lands or 24 lands. Like, would not write out a mana base to save his life. Like, would not do it. Just blatantly refused. And the number of times where Mason, me, Matt, Michael, whoever else is in a chat, and and Michael would send us a deck list with literally no lands written out. Mason had to be like every time, like all of them. Well, no, it is, it, no, that's not true. Because if if Michael was improving a deck, he would just copy their deck list, which he thought right. was bad. He would just take their mana base. So yeah, yeah, he just he, he assumed that they did a bunch of things wrong, but not the mana for some reason. 
which is just like the most like maybe that's true but i don't believe it <laughs> it's just the height of hubris on his part but love him to death also uh, no, but, he's like, he's way better magic than me so like i'm not yeah yeah he's very good but 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 the thing no no but seriously like mana bases are super super important and they are super super boring a lot of the ways right like making sure you have the sufficient number of stuff like frank carson has a lot of articles on this that are very good and very informative and are things you should probably read if you're wanting to work on this yourself but they are very much like reading math like essays like kind of like you know like a ted talk situation they are not exciting like let me talk to you about playing around cards in your opponent's hands isn't that really cool and smart you, but you have to do these sort of things, and you have to look at decks, and you need to make sure your deck is actually able to cast the cards you're wanting to cast and do the things you're wanting to do. And if your deck can't do that, maybe you need to pull back because that is so important in Magic. I, I really like Frank Karsten math articles, and I really like building mana bases, and I feel personally attacked by this segment. Well, it's really boring. <laughs> Uh, it's a puzzle it's a puzzle to solve right like it's way less fun than playing well i i think i think that it's also why i like really comp like um a really good example of this is i really like titan mana bases whether it's amulet titan whether it's um uh even in even in green red right now right if you're gonna play the if you're gonna play karn plus pilgrim if you're gonna play um cavalier of thorns like understanding like what are the lands we're trying to get how many of these lands we need to get is really interesting additionally um i thought that the mono red mana bases with um is it sun scorched desert that deals one were really interesting mana bases because you were playing triple red spells like how how do i get to do this um it is an underrated part of magic. I agree with you. Yeah. I I will say this. And I, who knows what this truth in this is just something I've observed recently and thought about when we come to this episode. All of my results that like people would care about in magic, I have more lands than most people do. Like my amulet list, I always kind of have more lands than most of the other. Not everybody, but a lot of the amulet titans are dead. My four-color deck list has a lot of like like some people had less fetches than I did. I had less than I did at certain points in Vegas, but like in Vegas, when I first made like a bunch of uh, innovations to the money pile list, I was playing more fetches than everyone else by like two, right? Uh, and like I, I had put a lot more lands in like my all my all my challenge top eights, like Omnath and stuff like that. I have like 28, 29 lands. So having mana, like obviously isn't one to one. But I think having a deck that functions and always has land drops allows you to play your games out more. And uh, it's a way to, like, it's like a way of skill expressing in a lot of ways compared to having less lands, right? Like, there's still obviously skill and stuff that comes from playing games with on low resources. But having all your resources and able to play them consistently is really powerful. I, I think that what you just touched on is how I would wrap this episode up, which is, like, you need to pick a lane. Um having spike field hazard and having um the 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 xx red red land shatter skull smashing shatter skull smashing in your deck is a decision that you're making and a concession that you're making to play to play 23 lands in your 19 land deck right and what you're like wait a second what are you trying to say spencer it's like no i'm saying play 23 lands in your 
19 land mono red deck, but part of that concession is that you're not really doing that. Additionally, uh, I agree with you, Mason. I uh, There were a long time people were on the 24 lands on mid-range plan. I was on 26. It, and doing anything that you could to alleviate the alleviate the problem of getting flooded was the way to win matches matches that you couldn't win because screw somehow always beats flood because you get out of it and then you just like pop off so you double spell okay, yeah right. you just start to double spell right yeah. and mm -hmm. it is everything that we talked about is solved by getting to cast your spells Casting spells is really good in Magic. And it's like, well, duh. But, like, no, for real. If you can cast your spells, you're going like, to... So, so can, I, can, I, can I have a, I have a great example? I actually think Tron is the best example of this. I was going to go off about Tron, but go ahead. Okay, so if you're if you're a fan of the Tandy late-night stream like I am, he gets on, Todd Anderson, and he watches old SCG feature matches. And, we you know, he reminisces about the good old days. And my favorite ones to watch are all the ones from the Khans of Tarkir era, because not only is Todd at his peak of near the peak of his powers then, so he's got a lot of really good stories and he's really plugged in, but everyone gets mana screwed in every feature match. And we watch Todd top eight a bunch of them, and I tell Todd every time, imagine if you had just playing mono black. He's just well, playing no, but it, well, if you don't, but like, so Todd always played like the Bant heroic deck with like 18 land. I was like, imagine sure. if you had two less spells and two more fetch lands in your treasure cruise deck. Like, you would have just easily killed your opponent in all of these games. Like, you really needed that, you know, it's, spell. It's so funny. <laughs> I, I think I think about I think about cards like um, Gitaxian Probe a lot in Magic, mm -hmm. where we just didn't play Gitaxian Probe. We had, we had a Gitaxian Probe, Ponder, and Preordain in standard all at once, Mason. Like, I know you weren't there for this, but those were all standard legal at one time. I've heard the tales. <laughs> I know, a lot of the stuff that I hear about is crazy that went on. But, uh, you know. I, you know, yeah, it, it, is, it is one of the things. We talked about this, like, I don't know, like a month ago. But, like, magic theory is not evergreen. It evolves. It grows. It wiggle wiggles. It folds. And, like, we need to grow with it. So, Mason, what's our Patreon question? Well... Before that, though, if you want to become a patron of the show, you go to Constructed Criticism on Patreon, and you can ask a question like this, get free entry to the tournament like Spencer talked about, get a wristband, get everything in between. But this Patreon's question of the week is, what metagame factors motivate you to buy into a new deck? Um, and I'll start off really quick here because I think this is interesting. If I'm buying into a new deck, it's because I think something's changed kind of drastically in the format or there's something I want to do. So if I'm... The factor is, like, things have changed radically. There's been a banning or something like that, and I think some other deck is good, and so I'm buying a new deck because I think the deck is good. Listen, I've had the same sponsor as Mason Clark for a long time, and the number of times that he just buys cards because he doesn't own them, according to who sponsors us, is all the time. And the number of times where I'm like, hey, I'd like to buy this deck or borrow this deck... And it's like, oh, Mason just bought all of these cards in the last two months uh, is all the time. Just like 100% of the time. Um, so he's a, he's just a liar. Um, well, so, but, but I, I don't buy decks. I'm just, I'm just, I, you too. Oh, sure. I, yeah. 
I, I'm talking about... To be fair, it was just individual cards that were missing. It was like, where are these? Oh, Mason bought four of them last month. He also bought four of this one last month. Four of this this other one last month. So of the, the 60, 75 cards you want, Mason bought 16 of them in the last month. Yeah, I got all of mono. You might, you might, you might get your mono green card. I don't. I I'm just saying Mason is saying words, and his buying habits disagree with them. Well, but maybe you spend money differently according to your sponsor than you do to your personal well, money. Cat of the bag. If I can, if I have money that's only tied up in store credit, I just buy things that. I oh, you just buy stuff. Credit. Okay, this actually yeah, makes like, sense. Like, yeah, yeah. So like, like if I think I'll need the card or a friend will need the card, I'll just buy it. Especially if I think it's cheap. Luckily, like, luckily, I'm the only one taking GG store credit uh, for this foreseeable future, and you're taking cash, so that I can build my collection now. I have. I actually just got a collection app on my. Do phone. not, do not, do not take GG. You literally told me you didn't want store credit. If you start no, no, taking I, I, store I, credit. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I'm, no, I've, I've been. I've been moving my whole collection so I can have it on my phone so I can know what I uh, have. What you're going to take from me? No, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just teasing you, Mason. I, I, you're taking this no, so no, personally. No, 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 I'm just kidding. No, no, no. no. I'm, just, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get a point across that I have all of Modern is what I've learned. And so oh. I, I have just – I own, like, all of Modern, basically. That's <laughs> so I, cool. That's actually um, – I don't know if we're allowed to do this, but like that's just a huge shout out to Oasis and your time with them, right? Like, yeah. Like, obviously they don't sponsor us anymore, but like, um, man, I'm gonna cry if I say this, but like, just shout out to them for like giving Mason that opportunity to like build that collection. So, yeah. They're they're doing some pretty cool stuff too. I'm really excited to build my collection again. Um. I have a pretty good answer for this question because for me, I'm going to be taking store credit in our sponsorship, which I'm going to be transparent about. Um, I plan to build Mono Red and Green Red next in Pioneer. Once I have about three Pioneer decks, I plan to go into Modern. Um, there's a lot of things that can convince me. I'm, I'm pretty willing to spend money on cash money like literally my own dollars on standard cards. Um, I also hold on to standard cards more than most people do, Mason. I think that people sell their standard collections really quickly. Yeah, I think I've it, never really sold my standard cards. Yeah, I, I think I think it's wrong. I think people do it really fast. Like every format rotates. They're like sell my standard collection to like. But I think that long term, it's actually wrong. Um, well, now it's wrong with Pioneer for sure. Like, uh -huh. I'm all a Pioneer now because I've never sold my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so. it, it's, it definitely is. And I think that for me, like, um, I haven't owned Magic Cards because of our Oasis Games sponsorship. Shout out to them. Um, and now, like, I'm going to get into Pioneer and Modern, and then I'm just going to start paying cash for Standard. And the things that will encourage me and motivate me to buy into a new deck are a few things. So, one my overall opinion of its power level. A really good example of this is I own three standard decks this year. I own zero gold spend dragons. Um, it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> or not. 
<laughs> or not. Depends, depends. On how, it depends on when you got your gold space. Yeah. I spent $50 on them over here. The good people. I was, I was just never going to buy them. It was just... But, but one of the reasons for that is, like... I could get a lot of mono white and mono green and then build another standard deck. And if that happened to be a gold spend dragon deck, I was happy to do that. Um, but I think my motivations are different, right? Like I'm trying to loan decks to humans to get them to come to standard events for pioneer. I'm trying to literally hand decks to Matt Kling and Quentin Pierce to come to pioneer events with me. So for me, the motivation for me is, will I enjoy this deck? Is it a deck one of my friends will enjoy? Is it different and will give me more learnings than another deck that I own? What what I think what people do pretty often is they'll buy every mono red card they could possibly need. They'll buy every mono green card they could possibly need. They'll buy every mono white card. They'll buy every Grixis card. What I would encourage you to do instead is, once you've built a deck, build a different deck and learn that deck. If you're going to put money into Standard or Pioneer, specifically those two formats, learn multiple decks. It's not that much to spend, I don't know, 36 bucks to update your list the next time you go to an event compared to the last time. But if you have two decks, right, and then you get a pick... Um, that would be my motivation. Yep. Yeah, I just think that's a good point. And I also think enough people don't ask the question of what do I want from magic? Yeah. And if the answer is you just want to play spirits or whatever and spirit type decks in every format, do that. But also, if you just want to win, do that, like get a bunch of different decks. You know what I mean? Like ask, ask that question yourself. What do I want from magic? What am I trying to get? And knowing that will answer this question a bunch too, because it's like, what motivates me to buy a new deck that I don't own? I've got a big tournament coming up, and I think it gives me the highest percent chance I'm, to win the tournament. I'm going to answer this question really quickly. I plan on owning mono red, mono white, and mono green in standard by the end of this format, regardless of what rotates. That means that I'll have red cards, green cards, and white cards for the next format mm-hmm. as starting points. And if I need to go two colors in any of those formats or whatever, that's fine. But what I'm doing is I'm building a foundation. Um, Let's move on to the yeah, go ahead. comment and question here because we're getting a little long here. And luckily, I can answer this one for Abe. He's not here. Uh, if you, if each of you were to play a Tier 2 Modern deck, which one would it be and why? And we know Abe only plays Hammer, so we know Abe would say Hammer. Censor, uh, what about you? <laughs> you can answer this for me. You you would play Tron? Or no, I mean, maybe. I because because they're saying right now, right? Like as right now, like, I I would play Scapeshift yeah. right now. I I think I think Scapeshift. It's really hard because like I really hate the Wish Scapeshift decks right now. They are really weird looking. No, I, go ahead, go ahead. I think so I should say this. Friend of Will's, love Will. Will's great. Uh, I agree that Will's great. I'm not saying Will's... No one, no one, no one here's... No one's bad-mouthing Will. I just want it to be known. Uh, 
I think it should also be known that Will wouldn't touch that deck of the 10 foot pole if it wasn't for this. I told you to invite him on the show. I literally was on the phone yeah, with you, right. told you he needs to come on the show. Well, that's not, but that's not what we're talking about. We, we, okay. got, we got plans for the Kruger. The x Wales. he's on a little bit of a vacation right now. But I'm with <laughs> his good life, Fox champion. But, but, what I'm saying is, is that I think Scapeshift not i think scapeshift is really bad and if you hit a bunch of four color it's really good but heaven forbid you run into the card ragavan you know yeah i have i have some i have some strong thoughts uh i would not play any and almost any tier two deck in modern right now unless i was specifically building a teamer or naya scapeshift list by myself um, other than Mono Green Tron. I think that deck is pretty good. He has a gas four-color matchup. I think that um, even it's... You could build it if you really wanted to be Murktide. You could do it. It's not good, but you could do it to like have like a 50-50 matchup. That would be my answer. I you're probably right. I probably end up playing Tron, but I could see myself building. I actually think Teamer Scapeshift might be really good right now. I really hate the Brinkalite lists. I really hate the Yorion hybrid lists that Matt Kling didn't get credit for. That uh, we got uh, some comments in our Discord that people were like, oh, did you see this four five color this this Yorion Scapeshift list? I was like, yeah. I mean, I saw it before it happened because Matt Kling was doing it, but. Uh, the innovator, as I like to call him, uh, stealing that name from Patrick Chapin. I, I, I think that it has to be Tron. I don't even know that there's like, the. I think the Gris lists are almost bad at this point. I think that the Gris, is that what you said? Gris. I don't know the name of the card. I think creature decks are bad. Do you mean wait the Gris? The, the Gris green black deck. No, oh, no, no, no. Yawgmoth. Yes, yes. Okay. I think, I think creature decks are bad. I think you just literally can't play a creature deck right now. Which leads me That's to... Well... Yeah. Hold on, you don't have to play a creature deck and you can play a tier 2 deck. Sure. Um. So one of the reasons... I, I'll actually go really deep into Tron and into why Mason thinks that I would play it. Because I do, I do actually think it's good right now. I think that one... You have the best mulligans in all of modern. Mulliganing is broken with the one mulligan. So that's reason one. Reason two, I think that um, Graveyard hates really good right now. Uh, there's no reason that people are playing a lot, and I mean a lot of three mana, three, four flash, exile a green card, bullcrap. Like, this card is good in specific situations and people are playing a lot of them um and tron just gets to do that i think karn is busted right now i think that the fact that you we got to play a lot of we actually did some play testing like old school pro tour play testing me matt and quentin uh former coach of the show and one of the things that we tested was uh mason's four colorless versus tron um, it was really good for Tron. Um, you get to you could construct the game into where counter spells really good. There's not enough counter spells in your deck. Um, I, I think that Tron is a really good deck to not be a creature deck. 
that beats other creature decks, that beats four color. It's not great against Merktide. So I think that would be my, my argument. <laughs> yeah, I think assuming I'm assume, I'm assuming your question is you're playing to win a tournament and not playing for fun. Because if I was playing for fun, I would just play like Amulet Titan or Yogmoth or whatever. Like those decks are way more fun than anything. I do think though that my answer to a tier two deck by my standards for what I would play is probably weirdly I think Amulet Titan is a good tier two deck. It has a real chance at winning a tournament. You gotta figure out the Murktide matchup a little bit and the living in matchup, but I think that sounds doable. And then my other answer would probably be because I'm looking over everything. I kind of think Nah, I was I was gonna say that the prowess decks are a little underplayed, but I don't think that's actually. I actually think, for what it's worth, that Amulet Titan is better against Merktide than Tron, and also is good against four color, right? Yeah, I think it's worse against Living End. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that matchup. So it, it it it's it's yeah. this like spot that you have to pick, right? If you think the three best decks. Are Murktide Living End and Tron, or sorry, not uh, Murktide Living End and uh, Four Color. Two, you have two decks that beat two of those decks, right? You've got Amulet and Four Color. You also have Burn that also beats two of those decks. Now we're in like a weird spot, right? Where we've got six decks. The bottom two, the bottom three beat two of the top three. The top decks don't really beat each other, right? Like, I think I know my answer. By the way, I, I went through go ahead. Everything. I, it's gruel, I think it's Gruel Midrange. So ooh. Far, I, thought, I thought Gruel Midrange is actually pretty good in Pioneer. Sorry, for Modern. My bad. I've been I've been coaching Pioneer. It's on the brain. Right about Pioneer. Uh, no, but in modern rule midrange, I think is actually pretty close to good, uh, like like a real real player. Um, and the fact that it has like disruptive elements, it's fast and plays a lot of really strong cards. Like, are you talking like are you talking like 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 Arbor Elf Gruel? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, Ar- I, I like like I would like to play like Arbor Elf Ragavan, Utopia Sprawl, Ren Karn, um, some interaction, some Blood Moons. Uh, Clothis Season Pyromancer, I think, is a huge deck for that. A huge get for that deck. I think Fury's a huge get for that deck. I also think the card Fable the Mirror Breaker should probably be experimented with in this deck in some number. Like maybe there needs to be a split of that in Season Pyromancer. Um, and I think uh, the you can play builds that play Bloodbraid Elf too if you wanted to. If you like want to explore, like I basically think this shell is actually secretly really strong in Pine. Keep saying Pioneer in Modern, um, but it has some bad matchups. But I think. Your Merktide matchup is passable. I think your uh, living in matchup is actually quite good, especially if you come with, like, you bring a couple chalices, um, and that will help your Rhinos matchup, which is actually secretly a hard matchup for you a lot of the time. And then your uh, four-color matchup is pretty even-ish, actually, which is, like, a pretty good place to be in the format. You definitely have some cheese draws on them, and you can actually grind them a little bit. So I, I would say Google mid I, I love that answer. I think that anything that you can do to... I actually loved a lot of the cards that you said. I think I think that Gruel Midrange... Uh, this is actually something that I... I think I said this in our Discord. Was underexplored in Pioneer even. I was like, hold on. like 
Is there a reason not to believe that this deck is not good against these top decks? Um, I mean, Magus of the Moon is a card that that, that deck gets. Like, there's a lot that, that that deck gets. I love that answer, Mason. I have a question for you, though. Yeah, We're supposed to record a video this weekend. Mm -hmm. Should we should we audible to this deck? Cause like you made me want to do it. Now what? We'll, yeah, we'll, but no one really. No one really wants that. All right, so uh, before we wrap up, what are people going to expect from us this weekend? Uh, money pile coaching session video. I'm hesitant about it. I'm, I got my anxieties. It is, uh, you know, we did it with Abe with Hammer, and that was a fast deck, <laughs> and we got pretty close to timing out in some matches, um, you know, and everything. But uh, we're gonna. I, I have some thoughts to fix it for what it's worth. Sure. But, uh, you know, we can talk about that off the air. But, yeah, yeah. we're going to have that, and there will be a video up on the YouTube channel, um, which is basically kind of like a free coaching session as well, in a lot of ways, about four colors. So get excited for that. Are you afraid to coach me? No. No? I mean, you've been doing it for years, so. Yeah. I mean, like, look at your Oh, my gosh. I give you one compliment, and you're like, <laughs> your whole body lights up. You're like, yeah, I am. Let's go. Yeah. I, just, I like to be honest. <laughs> Spencer, that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. If someone wants to find you, where can they go? Uh, you can watch me learning from Mason Clark over on the YouTube channel this week. Uh, you can also find me at Spencer13H. I have a huge announcement this week. I will be doing three podcasts moving forward in different ways. I'll be doing CCMTG. I will be doing Need to Nerd every other week with Patty B MTG. Um, I will also be doing a monthly podcast with Matt Kling about Smash Brothers. That's right. Smash Through is real. That is literally happening. Additionally, um, you can find me every other week doing commentary for Game Grid Lehigh um, with the VODs on the Constructed Criticism YouTube channel. Mason, what about you? find me each every week here on Constructed Criticism. You can find me over at twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. You can find me each every week over at Card Kingdom. That's Thursdays for when those articles go up. This week's article is all about how to win your RCQ. Uh, spoilers, get good, kid. Uh, <laughs> no, but there, there's, some, there's actual stuff there for like, you know, non-gameplay things to kind of talk about and look over. So make sure to check that out. Uh, I also stream over at Twitch, twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. And then I have been doing a bunch of coaching. I've had a lot of you reach out to me about coaching. It's been great to get to talk to you. I'm getting pretty close to the point where I actually probably take people on for more than singular sessions going forward. But if you want to get coaching, uh, I'm happy to do Money Pile, but also just general stuff like magic theory pioneer getting ready for something along those lines. We can work long-term. We can work short-term stuff. You can reach out to me in various places. My email's on my Twitter as well, but you can reach out via the Discord as well to get that. And you want to make sure to check out the rest of the network while you're over there on the interwebs. We have Drafting Archetypes with Sam Black. It's all limited all the time over there, so you want to check out that show. I feel like every week I say a lot about Sam Black's show, so I'm going to say a lot about the Popper show instead. And if it's your first time listening, get got. Sam Black is a podcast. Uh, Common Knowledge is a all-Popper podcast all the time. Popper is about to get a huge injection of cards. Um, with the release of Double Masters 2 in uh, a week from now, 
uh, yeah, a week from now. Uh, I was supposed to. I was supposed to do that. Yeah, it, it, it's downshifted. All yeah. the cards, Spencer. We got Monastery Swift Spear. Yeah. We've got Unearth. We have just a whole plethora of cards added to that format, and it is going to change the game forever. So if you've been a huge Popper fan, or maybe you've been less of a huge fan, and you don't like how grindy it is all the time, I'll be honest, it's a little bit too grindy for me at times. Cards like Swift Spear introduce a whole new level to the format. I've always been a Mono Red fan and uh, Popper, and now Swift Spear, boom. Nothing like Lava Spike, Needle Drop, Attack for three, baby. I hate to bring it to you. That's not what that card's going to do. I was supposed to be on Common Knowledge this week. Uh, we were supposed to record last night. I got sick. Like, sick with COVID last night. Um, they're recording right now as we're recording. Um, but they did get Brad, their former coast, jump on instead of me. Huge shout out to them. Um, is it Blitz is going to be the most improved deck by a substantial margin in Popper. Uh, it is also the best format when that deck is good. So let's go. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Make sure to share it with your friends. If you want to support the show, you can also go to patreon.com slash gcmpg. You can leave a like and comment on YouTube. You want to hear your question read on the show. And we'll see you all next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism. Mason, if you could say one thing that Abe would say before we leave, what would he say? God, you're so handsome, Mason. I think that he would say, I agree with Spencer and everything that he said. Yeah, that's what he would say. <laughs>